you, worship team, for how you lead. So good to be with you this morning. And I hope you see worship as just this, this blessed exchange, really. It's, it's a blessed exchange as we, as true, as we truly worship, pouring our hearts out to God. He blesses us. He, his presence becomes so near and dear and overwhelms us and uh, just helps us to feel peace and joy and contentment and the things, Lord, that we, that we need and that we, we desire. And um, each Sunday as we're led into worship, I sense that. And it's so rich and so wonderful and so powerful. So thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, we've been um, talking about the ordinances. We kind of was, we were in the book of Luke. We kind of took a break from that as we talked about ordinances. And I want to go back to Luke, uh, really just maybe for a couple more Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday probably, um, as I want to talk about something very familiar uh, to you probably uh, this morning. And then again, next week, talk to you about something very familiar as we're going to talk about a wee little man. You know who that is? <laughs> yeah, that'll be next week. But uh, looking forward to that. But uh, what the Lord has given us today is, uh, is a familiar passage of Scripture uh, to many. Uh, maybe not to you, but to many. And if, it's, if it isn't to you, that's okay. You're going to hear it today, and I think you're going to love it. Uh, because this passage of Scripture is called a parable, short story that Jesus told. And this has been, uh, what has been said about this short story is it's the greatest short story that's ever been told. And I kind of like that because I, I kind of agree with that. But uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And, and we have a large Scripture text. So what I want to ask you to do is stand with me. And what we're going to do is we're going to read verse 20 together, uh, and then I'm going to allow you to, to be seated, and I'm going to read through the scripture text, uh, the whole scripture text, uh, and you can just sit back and, rejo and re rejoice and relax and enjoy it, okay, this morning. So if you, um, if you can go to the verse 20 in the, uh, the slides, that would be great. Verse 20, yes, thank you. Uh, so reading 20 uh, together, it says, so he got up went to his father, while, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Well, you may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. I want to read through this scripture text with you, so if you cycle back to the beginning, and, and just, I, again, like I said, will you just... Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this beautiful, wonderful story that Jesus told as an illustration. He says in verse 11 through 32, He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. 
After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up, went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never given, you have never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful story? I love the, the story of the prodigal son. Amen. There's a couple things I just want to kind of highlight before we really dig in. Uh, first of all, I kind of want to just highlight the fact that um, this story is really special to me because this story is something that has touched my family and kind of molded my family into what my family is. And what I mean by that is my, uh, my father and uh, his, his wife, my mother, they went to church and uh, this is the sermon that they heard when they were both away from God. And they went to church, and this is it. This is the sermon. And they both decided in that service to give their heart to the Lord. And uh, that's ch that changed the direction of my family. That's, and it's fantastic. I do want to say that my dad's here this morning and my uh, stepmom. And so it's great to have them with us. 
And this just worked out this way, Dad. I didn't plan that you were going to be here uh, for a, a, ser a sermon on the prodigal son, but uh, it's fantastic. Verse 17 is interesting because in verse 17, and I just, just want to kind of like uh, just read it again. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. And I love that, that phrase, when he came to his senses. Because it, it's, it says something about like um, when we realize what we really have in God or what we're missing when we're walking with God. He came to his senses. He realized, why, why am I doing this in life when I could be doing this in life? And uh, in other versions, it actually says, um, if, if it says something like, um, help me out. Somebody have another version there? Anybody have a version open? I had it in my head and it's gone. You know how, you know how that happens? Anyway, it helps us to understand that when we're walking and we're walking away from God, Life really isn't what it's supposed to be. We don't really have in our life the things that we're supposed to have. You know, we're, we're walking in a life that we feel like we're being fulfilled. We think we have what we need, but we're actually walking in a life that our life is incomplete. And so he came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, he realized that he needed to be back with the, with the father. And so I love that. Well, you know, it's unfortunate that we have labeled this parable as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. Uh, and why do I say that? I, I basically say that because we have actually, we have actually hung that uh, title on this portion of Scripture. We've put that there. Uh, it's actually a parable that Jesus told, and I really truly believe that this is a parable that Jesus told to illustrate the Father. And I believe that he's doing that throughout this parable. And, and it isn't really about uh, the lost son uh, who was, you know, living riotous, you know, living in a riotous way or living in a rebellion way, a rebellious way. It really isn't about the older son who stayed with the father. But we can see uh, just by his words when he says, I have slaved for you. <laughs> we can see that he's not, you know, he's not there because he really wants to be there. Uh, this parable is about a father, and in this parable, the father represents our heavenly father. And so uh, we've named this the parable of the prodigal son, but uh, the reason that we've basically done that is because the prodigal, the word prodigal is an adjective that is describing uh, something or someone which is recklessly extravagant. And actually, if you look at synonyms of the word prodigal, you'll see that one of the synonyms of the word prodigal is wasteful, okay? And, we, and so we can see how that would very well describe the, the lost son, the, the younger son that, that went away. So because he was living extravagantly, he, he definitely was wasteful with the, with the inheritance that he was given. We find out as we read down through the parable from the older brother that some of the assets of the inheritance... Uh, that the younger son was given was spent on prostitutes. And so we can see he, he definitely went 
over the edge. He, he went crazy with, you know, with what he had. But here's the thing. This parable is not just about the younger son. It's not just about the older son. Jesus wanted to tell us about the father. Jesus, uh, if, if you look at the verses preceding uh, 11, 1 through 10, uh, you'll see that Jesus told another uh, two little short, shorter stories. One was about lost sheep. And the other one was about a lost coin. And as we read those, you'll see that Jesus wasn't really talking about the sheep. He wasn't really talking about the coins. He was really talking about how much the shepherd looked for the lost sheep. And when they found the lost sheep, that there was rejoicing. And so it, he was illustrating how much the father looks for us when we're lost and how heaven rejoices when we're found. Uh, then he talks about the coin, and he wasn't really talking about the coin as much as he was talking about the woman who lost the coin and really did everything that she could possibly do to find that coin. And when she found the coin, there was rejoicing. And so he was illustrating the father, like, pulling out all the stops to find the lost coin. And there was rejoicing in heaven. And uh, do you know, do you know how... The father pulled out all the stops for us. He sent Jesus, right? He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. Isn't that fantastic? And so Jesus is illustrating some different things here. And so when we get to verses 11 through 32, Jesus is really trying to tell us about the father and how the father feels about that person who returns to him and uh, returns to him from a, a life of sin. So we put that word prodigal uh, sometimes on the father because uh, in this parable, the father was reckless with his grace. He was reckless with his love. He was reckless for it with his mercy. And we even have a worship song uh, that, that we've uh, heard or maybe sung that called Reckless Love or the Reckless Love of God. And so that's uh, something that we've, we've talked about. However, I really prefer to say not really the reckless love of God, but the extravagant, the extravagant love of God. Because I think God's love is extravagant. So uh, as we look at the father in this wonderful short story, we see that this father gave up everything. And what I mean by that, in, in, his, in this culture, in his culture, uh, with all of its customs, with all of its uh, expectations of how a father and a son would relate and how they would interact and what was expected and what was not expected. In this culture, in this time, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy for the father to be forgiving of the younger son. It was crazy for him to actually then plead with the older son to come into the party. It was crazy for the father to really interact with these two sons in the way that Jesus tells the story. And yet we read in this parable and we watch uh, in this parable as uh, Jesus uh, unfolds this story, we watch how the father extends his grace to another level. A level that the listeners of that day, the level, a level that the, the people who were sitting in the crowd listening to Jesus tell this story, they would have been totally unfamiliar with a father reacting that way to these sons. 
So it's interesting because we read this parable and, and many of us, you know, we have a tendency to like try to find ourselves in this parable. And we find ourselves possibly in the, the younger son. And many of us see our, ourselves in the way of the younger son. We've strayed away from God. We've followed our own desires that have led us away from, from what we know are the right ways to live, the right ways to live to honor God. We've turned our back on God's commands. We've taken God's resources and used God's resources on our own stuff, our own joy, our own uh, efforts to try to find satisfaction. That's what the younger son did. He took the assets of the father and he used those assets to try to find satisfaction, to try to find something that would make him happy. And we do that. We do that with our resources. And when I say resources, we automatically think money, right? We auto automatically think money and possessions and those kinds of things. But I want to tell you, resources, this is our greatest resource right here, right? This is our greatest resource right here. And so we take this resource and try to use it in a way to find our own satisfaction, find our own way, find our own uh, niche and do our own thing. And so we, we can identify ourselves with the younger son. It's pretty easy to do. We followed our lust, our selfish inclinations. We found ourselves in a drunken stupor because we've decided we're going to satisfy ourselves. So we've turned to whatever the world has to offer that sounds like it's a good time. Or we turn to whatever the world has to offer to answer what is missing in our life. And in reality, it has only led us away from where we know God wants us to be in our life where we know that we should be walking hand in hand with God. Yeah. Many of us may see ourselves in the older son. And to be honest with you, <laughs> when you start to look at the older son, you think, I think I'd rather identify with the younger son. <laughs> Honestly. Because the older son is a picture that I don't want to be for sure. But it's easy to get into it. It's easy to fall into that, this trap. We've done everything right. We're a rule follower. Anybody else a rule follower? I'm a rule follower. I am. Somebody say, no, I like to break the rules. We're a rule follower. We don't make waves. We know all the right answers. We know how to act in public. We don't miss church. We may even have a Sunday school attendance plaque hanging on our wall. <laughs> We're doing the right things, but it isn't because we love God. It's out of duty. So our attitude isn't the attitude of Christ. It's actually the attitude of the older son saying, I've slaved all these years for you. What do I have for it? Jesus isn't our first love. Our first love is our ability to tell people how good we are at being what God expects us to be. We are third generation church of God. Or whatever church you want to throw in there. You know, and we have a tendency to brag about all the wrong things. 
Because it really doesn't matter if mom and dad were church of God. It doesn't really matter if grandma and grandpa were church of God. Uh, great grandma and grandpa were church of God. None of that really matters. When you get right down to it, what really matters is that our first love is Jesus. And we're doing the things that we do because we love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we love others as ourselves, right? But not the older son. So there's no doubt that any one of us may be able to identify with either one of these sons. But I believe Jesus is telling this parable not just to illustrate the younger rebellious son and not just to illustrate the older entitled son, but to illustrate the loving and gracious father. And aren't you glad this morning, as Jesus told this wonderful story, aren't you glad this morning that as Jesus goes through this story and he shows us this rebellious younger son that did his own thing, was following his own lust, and this older son that was just like, he's so caught up in himself and doing what he feels is right and looking down his nose at other people, aren't you glad that as Jesus told this parable about these two sons, that he showed the father being gracious to both of them? <laughs> Boy, I'm glad about that. I'm so glad about that. You'll notice in verse 12, if we look at verse 12 again, the younger of them, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. You'll notice that in verse 12, the younger son demanded his inheritance. Now, I've kind of already mentioned this. This was unheard of. This in this day, in this time, in this culture. This would have been unheard of. This is something that is, is crazy. In this time, it, it, it's for the son to demand uh, his father to give him his inheritance before the father died is absolutely ludicrous. It's, it's outrageous. It's preposterous. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Is that strong enough? Basically, that son was wishing for his father's death. Basically, that son was saying, listen, father, I don't care if you're alive anymore. I want what's coming to me when you die. It's, 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 it's so rude. It's so uncaring. It's so disrespectful. And, and the level of disrespect that this younger son was showing the father is just... It's like I said, it's unheard of back in that day. And he's just say, he basically would say, I want to start living like you are gone. Now, the expectation of the crowd would have been for Jesus then to say, and the father said, you are no longer my son. That's what the crowd would have expected. The crowd would have expected this son to be disinherited at this point. 
The, the crowd would have expected the father, actually, if you look this up and you look into the culture of that day and biblical background and culture of that time, they maybe even would have expected Jesus to say, and the father beat the son to a pulp. <laughs> because it was something that they would have expected the father to beat the son for that. Disinherit, beaten. To put it in our terms, I think we would have said something such as, what did you say? Come again? You, you want what? Get out of here. Go do your chores before I unleash on you. You know? But here is the first nugget. And when I say nugget, I, this is the first beautiful precious nugget that Jesus gives in the story and is right there in the first verse, right off the bat. God gives us the freedom to choose. God gives us the freedom to choose. It's amazing. The Lord isn't going to make you stay with him. He's not going to force you into being in a relationship with him. If you want to walk away, he'll let you do that. Now, here's the thing. Is it his will? No, it is not his will for you to walk away. Is it his plan? No, it is not his plan for you to walk away. Is it the desire of his heart? No, the desire of his heart is for you to walk hand in hand with him in a relationship, an intimate relationship with him, abiding in him, him abiding in you, and you having this, this relationship that is just, it's like intertwined and it cannot be broken. That is the will of the Father. This is what he wants. This is his desire. But he wants you to desire that on your own. He wants you to choose that for yourself. So right off the bat, we see Jesus illustrating free will and that it is the gift of free will from the Father. And we see his love for us and his grace that he extends for us in the way that he actually gives us the freedom to choose. Now, we know and understand that is really the only way true love works, right? That is really the only way true love works. You can't have true love if you can force someone to love you. Does that make sense? I mean... And, and I'll, use, I'll use my wife and, and I as an example. If I could, well, let's turn it around, okay? If she could force me to love her, if she could make me love her, apart from my will, apart from my choice, if she could make me love her, and I, lo and, and I said, well, yeah, I love you, would there really be any love there? There, there truly wouldn't, would there? Love would be absent. But when we have the ability to choose one another, that is when true love really takes place. God wants us to love him. Not because he's forced us to, not because he makes us, but because we, out of the, the, the understanding of our heart, knowing how much he loves us, knowing how much he cares about us, knowing all that he has done for us, we have this desire in our heart to just love him back. My goodness, God is good. 
And he could force us to love him. He could make us all into robots, couldn't he? He could make us all into people that just had no choice. And we had to do whatever he said. But the grace of God wouldn't allow it. The grace of God gives gives us that choice. It's amazing. But here's the other thing that teaches God's grace. The father doesn't doesn't just send him off (laughs) empty-handed. Now, at this point, you can say, well, okay, he could be gracious to him and not beat him (laughs) and not necessarily disinherit him, but just say, okay, you know, you're... You're not thinking straight. Just, just get out of my presence. For, go think this over. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. He actually says, okay, son. <laughs> and he gives him the part of his inheritance that he, that he has coming to him. He sends him off with his inheritance. That's an act of grace. He blesses him. He gives him the, uh, the inheritance that's coming to him. And sometimes we wonder why in the world, when we're not following God, why do we have the blessings in our life? Why is it that when we are not really walking close to God or, or our relationship with the Lord isn't really close or tight or, or maybe we have just completely strayed away and we still have blessings going on in our life? He's still taking care of us. He's still blessing us. He's still giving us uh, people in our life that love us and care about us. There are still things happening in our life that's a blessing. Why in the world does God do that for people? It's grace. God is so gracious to us that even when we are away from him, he has ways in which he is blessing us and caring for us. I've heard people share their testimony and they've shared how, you know, they were mixed up in this and they were mixed up in that and they were far away from God. But they could tell and they could sense that God was still speaking to them, that God still loved them. There was things happening in their life that they knew that God was, uh, he was sweeping the house for the lost coin, right? He was searching for that one lost sheep. And that's the grace of God. See, in the grace of God, as Jesus tells this parable, he's helping us to understand that even when we make a choice that really is just uh, smacks in the face of God, that's what the younger son did to the father, that somehow, someway, because of the grace of God, God still blesses, God still cares, God still loves. It's amazing. It's amazing how God cares for us and loves us. It's his grace. So God's grace is packed in the first few sentences of this parable. And then the next several verses, we see the sad outcome of the, of the younger son's decision. We see the dire consequences of not walking with the Lord. <laughs> and this is, this is something that ought to grab our attention. When we're not walking with the Lord, when we're not walking with God, we're not being what God wants us to be, what he's called us to be, what he's designed us to be, what our purpose is to be. When we're not in that frame of mind and walking in that way, there are dire consequences to that. 
we end up, our life ends up in a mess. Our life ends up going the wrong direction. And so we see that in this illustration that Jesus is telling. He's telling this story and he's helping us to understand when we follow our own way, when we use our resources for our own lust and our own desires, we end up in a mess. We end up in a, in a way in which life isn't what it's supposed to be. And so we see that in these verses. But in verse 20, when we get to verse 20, which we started out reading together. As Jesus talks about the Father again, here comes the message of grace again. In verse 20, the Father sees the younger son return home. <laughs> now, I, I love this because as he sees the younger son return home, it says that while he was still a long way off. Right? That tells me something. That tells me that the father is looking for him, right? He was still a long way off, and yet the father could see him coming. He's looking for him. Now, I don't get the picture here of, of the father sitting on the front porch with binoculars, like scanning the property's horizon. I don't get that picture. What I really do get the picture of is I get the picture of the father doing his daily routine. And as he's doing his daily routine, he's keeping one eye on his routine and what he's doing. And he's keeping one eye on the horizon because he has an expectation. He has a desire and an expectation to see that son come home. His father, his father was looking for his son to come home. He's looking for him. And, and I love the fact that that as he uh, sees him come home, that he runs, he jumps, and he runs to meet him and to greet him. But what does this tell us about the father that is so important? This is so important. This is important for every single one of us. Because I don't know about you, but there are times that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have disappointed the father. I know I've disappointed the Father. And in those times, isn't it difficult to think that he still loves you? <laughs> isn't it difficult to think that he's still looking at the horizon waiting for you to turn back to him? Here's the thing, and I love the fact Jesus shows us this with the reaction of the Father the father didn't hold contempt in his heart for his son. Isn't that wonderful? After all this son had done, after all this son had done, uh, really like slapping him in the, in the face, not literally, but, but figuratively in, in the way that he treated the father, you know, and, and going away and using all the inheritance and using all the resources and coming home with nothing left. And you would think that's a reason for that father to have contempt for that son. That's a reason for that father to say, don't you ever set foot back in this house again. That's a reason for that father to say, I don't ever want to see your face around here again. But Jesus says that's not the way the father is. You see, the father is such that as he is going about uh, taking care of the world, <laughs> that he also has his eye on you. 
and he's waiting for you to return, and he doesn't have any contempt in his heart for you at all, what he has in his heart for you is he has a plan to welcome you back. Isn't that fantastic? And, and he's, he's preparing to receive his son back. I, I love the fact that as the son was thinking about going back, he thought, you know what, before I even think about going back, I better prepare a speech, right? And so he's thinking about the speech that he needs to prepare to be accepted back when he gets back home. And so he prepares this speech, and it has a lot to do, and I'm going to paraphrase basically. He's basically saying, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say, Father, I was a nuthead. I can't believe how dumb I was. And if you'll take me back, I will just come back as just like somebody that will just work the fields and shine your shoes and do whatever you want me to do. It doesn't matter what you want me to do. Just please take me back. Okay, that's a big-time paraphrase, but that's basically what he was thinking. And so he's thinking, I've got to prepare to go back. And I think when Jesus tells this parable that he's telling us that the father had prepared to take the son back. He had prepared in his heart, prepared in his mind. He kind of knew when he breaks the horizon, I am going to run to him. I am going to throw a robe around him. I'm going to put sandals on his feet and we're going to throw a party which is great, it's great because it's not just this story, that's for us. That's for us, folks. Isn't that wonderful? So no matter how far away you think you are from God, he has his eye on you. And he's waiting expectantly for you to turn back to him. And the heart of God isn't filled with contempt. He's not looking to put you in your place. He's not chomping at the bit to chastise you and put you down for falling a life of sin. His heart is full of grace and love and his plans are to welcome you back. And you can see that in the parable. This father has plans to welcome back his son. Now, what I love about this is... Okay, this is Jesus, the Son of God, telling us about the Father. That's a pretty reliable source, amen? That's a pretty reliable source, you know. I mean, you know, we're going to, okay, so if you want to know about God the Father, who better to talk to than God the Son, right? And so God the Son is going to tell us a little bit about how the Father is looks at us and thinks about us and treats us. And when Jesus tells us this parable, he's, gonna, he's telling us, hey, you may think this about the Father, but let me tell you how he actually is. He loves you so much. I love that. Grace. Maybe this parable is a celebration for you. Maybe this is just a celebration for you. You hear this parable and it just again renews your, your idea and your thoughts about how wonderful God is and how gracious he is. And you just want to rejoice this morning and praise him. That's certainly a, a right response to this wonderful parable that Jesus told. Maybe this is a message for you and, and, and you're hearing... Uh, it's time to come back home. 
it's time to, to turn back to the Father because he's ready to receive you. He's ready to welcome you back. Maybe this morning as you're, as you're hearing this, you're thinking of somebody that needs to hear about God's grace. And so this is something that you want to share with others. You can do that. You know you can do that. God will help you. <laughs> you know, it tells us that God will give us the words to say when we need to say it, right? And so when you go out into your life and you know of somebody maybe that needs to hear about the grace and the love of God, you know you can share this message with them. Get out your word. Read it to them or let them read it or whatever the case may be. Allow the Holy Spirit to allow you to share what you've heard this morning because other people need to hear it. Right? Amen. But here's what I know. God's, gra uh, God's grace is a gift from him. Amen. Uh, it is not deserved, but it is still offered to us. It doesn't matter how badly we've lived. He is still calling us to come back to him. And I love the fact that in verse 7, if you go back to verse 7 and 15, it says in verse 7, um, I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And then you drop down to verse 10. I tell you in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. I, I love the fact that Jesus is giving us in this whole chapter, he's helping us to understand that heaven's rejoicing when we come back to God. When we come back to the Father, heaven's rejoicing. Let me tell you something. When you make that choice to turn back to the Father, he's not only running to you, he's ready to put on a feast for you. He's getting the feast ready. He's going to put a ring on your finger. He's going to throw sandals on your feet, throw a robe around your shoulders. He's throwing you a party. He's leading the angels in song. There's confetti, there's balloons, there's streamers, uh, and the angels are rejoicing, and the church is partying on earth. Let me tell you, this is the picture that Jesus is giving us when he tells us this amazing short story that we find in Luke 15. And I hope that you're rejoicing this morning because Jesus said, that's how ready God is for you to turn, to come back to him. Amen. Amen. Won't you do that today? Um, you know, there's another way in which we can respond to such a wonderful truth of God. Uh, truth of his grace, truth of his love, and that is through the uh, act of communion. And so we're going to end with that today. And really it's a time, like we've said, like when we talked about communion a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, it's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of thanking him, praising him, loving him. And so uh, we want to remember what he's done for us and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Back And so I want to read a portion of scripture to you from John. And uh, the book of John in the 19th chapter, it describes the things that Jesus went through so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be in a relationship with the Lord and so we could walk with God. And so it says 
in uh, verse 16 of chapter 19 of John. Uh, Then he handed uh, him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to a place called the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but, he, but that he said, I am, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Dropping down to 28. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that this scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. I wanted to read that because we need to remember what Jesus went through for us. God gave us everything, didn't he? He gave us everything. Why would he do such a thing? Because the love of the Father is real. It's how much he loves us. And so when we come to an opportunity where we're going to take this bread and this cup, it's, it's remembering the love of God. The love of God and the way that Jesus gave his life. For our sins so that we could be forgiven and walk with him and there's no greater thing than that is there I'm going to ask if you'll peel the top off and take the wafer Taking the the bread, Jesus broke it, gave it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body, take and eat. And so we do that this morning.
he took the cup and he passed it to them and he said, take and drink for this is the blood of the covenant. And so we take and we drink and remember the blood of Jesus. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we have taken of the bread and of the cup this morning. We are reminded of your body being broken for us. We thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your willingness. And we know that it started from the time that you came, but Lord, a very important moment in time was spent in the Garden of Gethsemane. When you prayed and your, it says in the scriptures that your sweat was tinged with blood. We can't imagine, Lord, the, the stress and the anguish that you were suffering in that moment in time. But we do know, Lord, that as you prayed, that, Lord, really what it came down to, what you said in your prayer was not my will, but yours be done. And you embraced, Lord, the cross. You embraced the, the beatings, the scourging. You embraced the name-calling, the spitting. You embraced the shame. You embraced the pain. You embraced all of that for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and walk with you and be in relationship with you and know you as our Savior and our Lord. And this morning, Lord, as we have taken these elements, they are reminding us, Lord, of all that you've done for us, how you gave us all, your all. Praise you and we thank you and we love you and adore you and we rejoice, Lord, in the fact that you paid our price a price that we couldn't pay, a price that was way too high for us. You paid it all, you took on our sin, and you gave us your righteousness. And we thank you and we praise you and we remember, and Lord. What a special time it is to think of all you did for us after we have heard this amazing parable about the Father and his grace and his love and how much you love us. We say thank you, Jesus. Together we say thank you, Jesus. It is in your name that we pray and lift you up.